The point I'm trying to make is, I think, especially at the professional level and at the level of where you really want to separate yourself to have a national presence or an international presence, you must have a product that absolutely outperforms other products. And it must be a product that people will want. You know, it must be something that is significant that creates the separation factor. And that's what the mental workout, I think, did for me in developing my platform. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership, where we believe doing it alone is the enemy. I'm your co-host, Nikki Ballou. I'm your other co-host, Michael Palmer. And boy, do we have an amazing guest lined up for you today. He is the one, the only, the legendary Dr. Jason Selk. Welcome to the show, Jason. Well, Michael, thank you for that wonderful introduction. So, Jason, you have quite a resume over here. You've been the director of mental training for the St. Louis Cardinals. You helped them win their first World Series in over 20 years. And uh, you've been featured all over media in magazines like Forbes, Inc., Success. You've been on all the major networks. And you've written a couple of best-selling books, Executive Toughness and 10-Minute Toughness. Man, I'm really excited to speak to you. But, you know, our listener wants to know your story. How'd you get to be Dr. Jason Selk? Well, uh, to me, and and just so people know out there, I, I much prefer Jason over the doctor. So please, if you ever are in contact with me, let's go with the Jason I tell you, I've had obviously some very fortunate breaks, but I'd also tell you I grew up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which is a very blue-collar town. My, my, both my parents worked, and I think probably the greatest asset I have is work ethic, and I learned it directly from my parents, and I'd, I'd be remiss to not give my community some of that credit as well because just really the people I grew up with in my home and in the community – hard work was really a part of everyday life. And so I think, you know, you put hard work consistently over time, and then you couple that with some good, fortunate breaks, which I've definitely had. And seems like life seems to turn out fairly well for people who just keep working and refuse to give up. That's powerful stuff. That's powerful stuff. So how did you get into this business in the first place? What inspired you to take the leap? Well, I was uh, heavily involved as a young person in sports, and I loved the game of football. And first game of my senior year, I blew my knee out and had to go through rehab. And uh, football, and really all competitive sports at any you know competitive level, was over for me at that point in time. It was really difficult, and I was going through physical therapy. And, you know, the physical therapist was putting the STEM machine on my knee and working me through the exercises. And she would sit with me. And I thought when I was going through it that uh, I really was inspired by the physical rehabilitation, the physical therapy aspect of it. So when I went to college, my first semester, it was actually I was a physical therapy major. And I realized halfway through the first semester that it wasn't the STEM or the exercises that was so inspiring and that I was passionate about. It was the fact that she sat there and talked me through 
some of the emotional issues of not being able to play sports again at the level I would have wanted to. And so then it was a pretty quick turn to sports psychology. And from that point on, I was just lucky in that I was one of those individuals that early on in college realized what I was really supposed to be doing. And since then, it's really just been off to the races. You know, I'd be interested to to understand how you went from having this expertise where you are, are able to do the work that you do, but you're also really well known. You're known for that expertise very broadly. I'd like to hear how, how what that journey has looked like. Yeah, and, and you know, frankly, and I know a lot of people listening to this are going to relate when I say it, that I think for a person who's really passionate about what they do, that's kind of the easy part. And I, again, I don't mean to minimize the hard work that goes into that, but if if it's something you love to do, it really doesn't feel the same as it does trying to build your brand or your platform. I know for me, it was really all about doing the work. And I was one of those people, again, and very fortunately, I was just lucky enough where the brand started to develop. So to give you the specifics, it was uh, 2005. And I had been lucky enough to that point. I started my practice in 1999. And I wrote a program is called the Mental Workout. It's uh, in my first book. It's the first five chapters. Anyway, I was using that with professional athletes, and I was lucky enough. Again, one of the lucky breaks was one of my very, very close friends. In fact, one of my closest childhood friends played baseball for the Houston Astros. And when I wrote the Mental Workout, I knew that it was something really solid. I think that's one thing. I've done a very good job of making mental toughness very practical. It's very specific, it's very step-by-step, it's very prescriptive, and it's all based in science. So I knew, at least I had a very good feeling back in 1999 when I wrote the plan, that it would work, that it would produce results at the highest level. And so I tested it with a friend of mine playing for the Astros, and immediately it started helping him play better. And then he passed my name around to another couple of teammates, and then those two passed my name to another couple. And, you know, within a year... I was getting phone calls from NFL, Major League Baseball players that I didn't know, NBA, PGA, NASCAR, I mean, you name it, any of the professional sports, somehow the name traveled pretty quickly. And that was kind of the start. But then in 2005, when the St. Louis Cardinals had just gone through a couple of years of losing in the playoffs, they got swept in 04 by the Red Sox, and then in 05, they got beat by the Astros in the division playoff series. Walt Jockety, the general manager of the Cardinals, uh, reached out and asked if I would be interested to work with the players of the Cardinals, the staff of the Cardinals, to help them develop mental toughness. And it was really based on the head physician for the Cardinals, a fellow by the name of George Paletta. He had heard my name from other players not with the Cardinals. Strangely enough, I was in St. Louis, but I didn't have any clients with either the St. Louis Rams or the St. Louis Cardinals or the Blues at that time. But I had players across Major League Baseball who were consulting the physician, Dr. Paletta, for second opinions. And I guess he heard my name two or three times and said, well, we need to figure out who this Celt guy is. And so he passed my name on to Walt Jockney, and that's when Walt reached out to me. And then after 
a couple of meetings, we decided that for the 2006 season, I would be the director of sports psychology for the St. Louis Cardinals. And again, a very fortunate break. In 2006, the Cardinals win their first World Series in a 24-year period of time. Now, I'll be honest, I play a very small, when I was with the team, and I left after the 2011 World Series victory, but when I was with the team, I played a very small role. But I took the role very, very seriously. I mean, I, I again, I take great pride in making sure nobody's going to outwork me. The people I work with are going to be more mentally tough than than the people we're competing against. That's, uh, you know, again, that's that work ethic. So I did my part, there's no doubt, but there's so much good timing and a lot of good fortune and luck that goes into any professional championship. Anybody who's been a part of one knows that. So it, it really was that culmination of having a good friend with the, in, the spro, in the sports world, getting my name out there. Eventually, a team wanted to hire me. The team wins the World Series. And then uh, getting a book deal was very, very easy. You know, I think people were very interested in, hey, your team just won a World Series. It had been 24 years maybe you're the it factor. I probably got more credit than I deserved. Uh, but again, when they would lose, I would, I would take more of a beating, more blame than I probably deserved. I think you'd take the good with the bad. That's what I was always taught. But so I think it really was a, a culmination of, yeah, I did my job. I worked very, very hard and the people I worked with did well. And then over a number of years, some of those results started to create patterns of success, which then led to working with a professional team which builds credibility, which then I think made it very easy to get a book deal. And then I wrote 10 Minute Toughness in 2006. And again, I, it's a, in my opinion, it's a very, very good book. I still believe it is by far the single best mental training plan in existence. It's very prescriptive. It's very science-based. If you do it, it will work. I think there are a number of professional athletes out there that would also agree with that. 10 Minute Toughness is uh, done very, very well. So there was kind of the work ethic that with the lucky breaks, with the fortunate situation and landscape, combined with very hard work, always being prepared, making sure that when I did a job, I did it very, very well, as well as I could do it. I think that's what really started to grow the platform. But above and beyond anything else, it was getting that first book out there, 10 Minute Toughness, that really took me from kind of a St. Louis name or a, maybe a, a Missouri name to more of a regional, national, and even now international name. You know, I, I love the story and I, I, I think, you know, lucky breaks, you're a hard worker, luck comes to those who work hard. But let's talk about how this, there was this core body of work that you took into the market that was gold. And how did you actually go through the process to build that piece of content that actually worked? I'd really like to hear that. Well, it's really a, a surprising story, even to me. I know I w it was 1999. I was preparing for oral examinations for my doctorate. And if you're, you know, if you've never been through that, oral examinations is a literally a one week process where you're going to do 40 hours of testing and it's testing over anything you've learned in the entire graduate program. And so it's really overwhelming. And in a, an attempt to study, I, I would put all of the resources, notes, textbooks, practical guides, I would put them all in one room. Now, the only space I had 
in my house at the time that was large enough was my deck. It was a large deck and it was bigger than any room I had in the house. And so I'm out on my deck one afternoon and I've got all these materials surrounding me, trying to learn them, feeling somewhat overwhelmed. And a thought hits me. I, you know, I've been in school my whole life at this point. I'm 29 years old. I, I really have had, you know, miscellaneous jobs, but nothing career wise really to speak of. And I, I thought to myself, well, you know, if this goes well, I'm going to be out of school. I've been a professional student my whole life. I, I guess it's time to go get a return on the investment, to go get a, a career job. And I thought, well, I spent a lot of money and a lot of time to get where I am. How am I going to get a return on that investment? What do I really have to sell? And, you know, my first thought was, they didn't cover this in class. And then my next thought was, okay, so what really do I have as a product? And I thought, mental toughness, okay? If you had to ask me, I'd say, I sell mental toughness. I help people become mentally tough. I said, well, what really is mental toughness? And I didn't have a pure answer for it. So I said, okay, what, what is physical toughness? Physical toughness is, you know, if you're on a football field going head to head with a guy, you can overpower him. Or, or if you're lining up to run the 40, you can run faster. Or if it's a fight, you know, one guy's going to be superior to the next. It's okay, how do you develop physical toughness? And, and that's when my mind started to go to the trainer, the physical trainer. You know, if you go to the trainer, they have expertise and science on their side that will teach you the most efficient way to build strength physically. And that's when it really started to hit me. A light bulb started to go off that I'm as positioned right now as, as I believed anybody in the world. I was just finishing graduate school. I'd already done a dissertation. You're supposed to be the single most expert on your topic when you write that dissertation and get it accepted. So I felt like all this knowledge right now, I probably am never in my life going to be in a position where I have more knowledge on the topic than this moment. And so I said, if I was a trainer, what would I do for the physical toughness? Now, instead of looking at the bicep as the muscle, it's the brain that's a muscle. And science will tell you the brain's a muscle just like the bicep. So that was an easy transition. And that's when I wrote the mental workout that, okay, you know, what are those three sets of this, four sets of that? How many reps of this? How many reps of that do you need to do to get your bicep strong? What's the equivalent? for your brain if you want to have increased confidence and focus, which is, feels like that's what mental toughness for most athletes is, is the ability to control thoughts and to have confidence. So I wrote the mental workout, and I'd love to say that it took weeks or months. I wrote it in 45 minutes, and I felt like it literally was lightning in a bottle. Like I said, I, I think just so many different things came together at exactly the right time and right when I wrote it, I knew, I said, oh my gosh, I think I just came up with something fairly groundbreaking. At the time, there wasn't anything like it. Now, I know there have been a number of copycats since 10-Minute Toughness and the, specifically the mental workout came out, but I knew that it was a product that if you were an athlete or a coach, you would want to have this as a tool, as a resource for your athletes if you were a coach or yourself if you were the athlete. And again, it was completely science-based. I, I knew scientifically at work, and that's when I called my friend. I immediately came off the deck, and I called my friend playing for the Astros, and I said, hey, I think I just came up with something, and I think it'd be really good. And I knew he was a guy that would give me honest feedback, and he would also give it a, a, an honest try. And, you know, We had a strong enough relationship where if I asked him to do it, 
I think he would know that I wouldn't ask him to do something unless I really felt it was going to help him. So he gave it his honest effort, put into doing the work. And, you know, within days, he starts playing better. And then, like I said, from there, he started passing that on to teammates. And sooner than later, that mental workout had kind of put me in a position where I was recognized as one of the top sports psychology consultants in the world. So I'm going to make a point that although it, again, came fairly easily to me, I guess you could say the 45 minutes, that's a very easy process, although it was actually, you know, eight to 10 years in the making. At least. <laughs> I, it, it all came together in a 45 minute period. But the point I'm trying to make is, I think, especially at the professional level and at the level of where you really want to separate yourself to have a national presence or an international presence, you must have a product that absolutely outperforms other products. And it must be a product that people will want. You know, it must be something that is significant that creates the separation factor. And that's what the mental workout, I think, did for me in developing my platform. We'll be right back with our interview with this week's guest. Welcome to another segment of strategies for growing your business. And today we're going to be talking about don't do it alone. Michael, what does that even mean when people say don't do it alone? Why is that important? Well, most people are doing it alone. And there's no question that when you're doing this type of work, creating programs, developing your own intellectual property, growing your business, if you're doing this on your own, you're only seeing things from your own viewpoint. And that's a dangerous place. It's a limiting place. Why is it so dangerous, Michael? Why is it so limiting? Well, a great mentor of mine, Matt Church, says you're always 10 times better than you think you are. And no matter how great you are, you're always 10 times greater than you are. The problem is you likely don't think that because you're too close to it. You're too close to yourself. You're too close to your own intellectual property. You're too close to what you know uh, as a thought leader. And so when you surround yourself with other people who are doing this work, you actually get to bounce ideas off and they actually get to help you experience and realize your full potential. That's fantastic. And the other thing about don't do it alone is, you know what, if, if you're on your own, you can get stuck. You might not know the way out, right? And, and if you're around other people who are equally smart, equally talented, then not doing it alone actually becomes a great thing because they get to give you the insights that could help you get past being stuck on that plateau. Right, Michael? Absolutely. Past guest, Bruce Bowser talked about, and I think he actually talked about it before before the episode, but he talked about working out with Mark McCoy, and he's been working out with him, what, 17 years? 17 years. 17 years. longer than me. Yeah, it's incredible. And he says the key factor to why the workouts are so excellent is that Mark's actually doing the workout with him. What that does is it inspires him, it, it shows him a, a new way, it creates creativity around the workout, and it's co-created, really. It's the same thing that happens when we gather all of the, the coaches and consultants and entrepreneurs who are building their own intellectual property, their own thought leadership, and building their authority. When we put them in a room together, what happens is they all progress much more quickly together because they're 
bouncing ideas off of each other. They're modeling the behavior and they're pushing people, that natural competitive nature that we all have to, to, to act when, when, it's call, when you're called to act, actually kick in. When you're sitting alone in your office, in your house, that doesn't happen. You stay at that flat line of wherever you're at. And so it's a powerful, powerful environment when you actually start working with others and, what, and what's possible. I love it. I love it. So you know what else I think is extremely powerful, Michael? Just building on what we just said, we have this amazing three-day immersion that we do once a quarter. And this is an opportunity for you to experience the power of not doing it alone. And if you want to find out more about signing up for one of those, we do them in Toronto. Oh, uh, again, once a quarter, they, they, they happen once in each season. You can visit our website, eastcircleacademy.com, and we'll put a special code in the show notes for you if you're interested as a listener of this podcast so that you can get our best friends and family rate. Check it out, eastcircleacademy.com. It's a great place to learn about not doing it alone. And that uh, wraps up another exciting segment of Strategies for Growing Your Business. You developed something pretty groundbreaking. It, it strikes me that you had a message, and you had a message that was aimed at a particular target group. The message that you had was, uh, I can give you the mental edge to take you to victory. And the target group you were looking at were professional athletes who were really interested in victory. Is that a correct assessment? Absolutely. So based on that, then you've been able to leverage this to go into markets other than professional athletes. You work with uh, Fortune 100 executives. So how were you able to leverage that message into the business world? Yeah, it's, it's been somewhat organic in that. With the books, again, I've got three best-selling books out there right now. And so those are essentially commercials running all over the world for me. You know, and that brings, honestly, more business than I can handle. But the, the way, the, the very first start of that transition from the sports world to the business world, the St. Louis Cardinals are a very, well, they're owned, their leadership is businessmen. And they're very, very well connected. And one of the owners had a connection to a very successful Fortune 500 business. And I guess the two of them were out. I don't know if they were having drinks or having dinner, whatever it might have been. And the business individual said to the Cardinals owner, hey, we, we've heard about this new guy you've got doing the mental stuff. Could we use him with our team? And so the organization reached out. It was Blue Cross Blue Shield. They reached out and uh, I went up and did a program for them. It was a two-day program. And I really, while I was doing it, I knew that I was in over my head. Now, again, I think I delivered value and certainly that, or I wouldn't have accepted the money. But I knew that I, I wasn't researched or experienced enough to know the exact benefits of how this mental training would, would apply into the business world. And, you know, asking the business people to make those parallels to the sports world, I felt was somewhat unfair and, and, you know, obviously not the best that I could do. So I spent then about a year and a half to two years researching 
okay, how are people in the business world different? You know, what are, I, I didn't even have a language in the business world. So I, I really, I, I read uh, five books a month for two years. What's that? Uh, over a hundred books, business books, just really kind of learning language and understanding the psychology of the business person and so forth. And And that's when then I wrote my second book, which is Executive Toughness, which is, it's really the equivalent of my first book, but applied instead of to professional athletes and coaches, it was applied to anyone in the business world or really anyone who wanted to improve their performance in life. That's fantastic. I, I, I love that story. One of the key things that Michael and I believe in is that if you're a thought leader, your thought leadership can be leveraged in, in many, many ways. And you've just demonstrated a very powerful way of how to do that. So what portion of your business now is focused on the business world versus professional athletes? Yeah, so I probably do 70% right now in the business world and only about 30% in the sports world. And in the sports world, I, I right now I'm not in a position where I would work with a team. So in the sports world, it's all just individuals. Whereas in the business world, it, it's almost the inverse of that, that a lot of what I do in the business world, I just, I do so many keynote speeches. I mean, I'll leave on a flight later today and go to Dallas. And then from Dallas, I'll go to Baton Rouge. And then from Baton Rouge to New Orleans, New Orleans to Vegas, Vegas to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Cedar Rapids, Iowa to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And, and you know, a lot of that is a two hour kind of workshop with some of the organization's leaders and business people. Right. So it's more group work in the business world, all individual work in the sports world. Amazing. Have you considered taking some of uh, what you have in terms of expertise uh, for the sports world and maybe having other trainers licensed to deliver it for you? Yeah, you know, for years I, I've had that, you know, people push me and, you know, people who uh, try to help me grow my business have pushed to do that. And, and I really resist it for a couple of reasons. Really, I'll just share the main reason. I really love what I do. Hmm. And I know that I, I, it's quite possible. In fact, the benefit is that I would make more money if I you know, created a scalability where other people would do in the training for me. But hmm. I, I know what I would do is I would lose my ability to, number one, be on the front lines working with people, with the people I'm trying to coach and help. I'd be more focused on making sure my people were doing a good job coaching those people. And I, I really, I just don't want to do that. I mean, I, I financially, I feel very blessed. My family, we should be, if I just keep working hard and uh, keep, if things continue to go the way we're going, we're, we're financially going to meet our financial goals. And so I just love the life I have. I, I don't have a lot of stress. I love my job and I don't, I don't want to taint that, you know, and I've had, I've seen people in any, I'm not in any way saying that's what would happen to a person who did this. I'm saying for me, it's, it doesn't feel right now in five, 10 years, maybe that changes. But right now I have no sure. desire to bring on more people. In fact, I've only ever had two people that work with me. They're terrific. Hey, we keep it lean and mean. And like I said, there's very little stress. And I feel like all of us get to do exactly what we want. Most, I shouldn't say it, most of the time we get to do exactly what we want. You know, obviously there's a grind to anyone's job. But uh, so, no, I, I've really rejected and avoided that model, at least to this point in time. Awesome.
So we like to wrap up every episode by asking our guests, what are your three top expert action steps that you recommend our listener take on or take their life and their business and thought leadership to the next level? Hmm. Three, that's a, that's a tough number. I know what number one would be. Let's see if anything grows out of number one. But number one is, again, if you want to be great at something, whatever field it is you're choosing to be in, you must have that separation factor. You must have something about you, about working with you, that is better than everyone else, literally. you know. And, and that was my goal from the get-go is, to be the best sports psychology consultant in the world. Those words I said to myself over and over daily. And I think it really motivated me in the end to create that mental workout that I knew there was nothing out there. But, But I think the key is you must have something that is tangibly better than everybody else. Otherwise, to go play with the big boys, I mean, the you know, I've I've learned with the professional athletes, the sports world, at the Fortune 100, Fortune 500 level. I mean, I remember the first day on the job with the Cardinals, I was looked right in the eye and told these words, if you do not produce with the players you work with, if they don't get better at a higher level than our average statistical player gets better, you will be fired immediately. I didn't have a contract. I mean, I had a contract, but they never signed it for the entire six years I was with the Cardinals. And I appreciated having my expectations managed that way because I knew that that's what they expected. And I knew if that, if I couldn't deliver on that, I'd be let go. And and I've just seen that, that at the professional level, at that Fortune 100, Fortune 500 professional level, sports or business, if you're not better than the rest, you're not going to make it long. So you've got to find not everything to be better than everyone else at, but find that one thing that you are clearly better than everyone else. And I think if there was a second piece, I'm not going to have three for you. I apologize. I I, I think there is a second piece because I heard early in my career, this is before I got connected with the Cardinals. So this is between 1999 and 2005. Someone said to me, you know, you're the best kept secret in St. Louis. And again, I've been lucky. I've never spent a dollar. That's not true. I put one very small ad in the phone book. People listening may not even remember what phone books are, but (laughs) I think I put a $250 ad in the phone book my very first year. And that's all I've ever spent on marketing. I don't know how you get your name out there. I mean, for me, again, I think there were a lot of really lucky breaks that happened and I just kept working. I think there are much more effective ways of marketing. I I really feel like I I wouldn't be the person, but I know this, that if you have that great product, you must make sure people are aware of it. And again, I wouldn't be the expert on that second part, but I know that these days, especially these days, that's such a big piece of the puzzle. So I'm just going to give you two right there. Have a great product better than anybody else, and then make sure people know about it. Okay, I got it. If people are interested in finding out about your work, uh, where do they go? Uh, probably the easiest would be the website, jasonself.com. You know, the books, all the three books, and I've got another one coming out. I think in December it'll be released uh, Amazon or Barnes and Noble, any of the major book 
suppliers. Uh, the books are easy to find and we're certainly not trying to hide. So jasonself.com would probably be the easiest way to find any information out about me. What's the book that's coming out in December going to be called? Well, it's, so my third book was Organized Tomorrow Today. It did really well. It has done really well. It just came out a year and a half ago and it did so well in the first six months that the publisher asked if I would write a follow-up to it for teams, for organizations. So it's Organized Tomorrow Today for teams. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, listen, Jason, thank you so much for your time. Uh, your wisdom's been uh, wonderful to listen to. And good luck and Godspeed in all the speeches you got to deliver in the next few days. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate being with you guys and all the best to everyone out there. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Michael, Dr. Jason Selk, pretty amazing man. His vision was to be the world's best sports psychologist, and I think he achieved it. Certainly, he's known as being the world's best sports psychologist, which establishes himself as a thought leader in that space. I think his story is a really interesting one. It's not a common one. You know, he's become known simply because his, his what he created, and it did take him, he said 18, I'd probably guess it's more like 20, 22 years to create it. And he said 45 minutes was the culmination together. of it yeah. all coming together. But it was an awesome, incredible, impactful tool that he then got in the hands of somebody at a very high level and then just kept building on that. And I think his advice is great. Be great at what you do. Find that one thing that you can really do well. I think what he does really well is he's, he's actually really good. When he's speaking, he is selling great. I mean, I want to buy the book. I want to yeah, check yeah, out buying, more. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. I think part of that, the, his message that maybe he didn't speak to, but you and I can speak to is, is he's very good. If you listen to this episode, maybe another time, he's very good at creating a persuasive message inside of his stories. He had great stories, but very persuasive. Very and persuasive. he's got the artillery to do it, right? The Cardinals, big fortune, 100, 500. I mean, dripping those in are, are just incredible. But he's had to, to go and work to earn those things and do that. But listen to this episode again from the perspective of how does he create interest and excitement about what he has to offer? I'm really excited about consuming his work. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I think we're going to order his books <laughs> right <laughs> put, after we put, get off doing this. Put episode. him in the business of thought leadership library. Uh, uh, but uh, he's terrific, and it was great to have him on the show. He was. Well, that wraps another episode of the Business of Thought Leadership podcast. To learn more about today's incredible guest, you can go to thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening.